skeptics have to be right all the time, but the UFO incident only has to be right once to prove them wrong. Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Unrefined Podcast. This is Lindsay, very uncharacteristically doing the intro here, and I'm with my co-host Brandon Spain. Hey Brandon. Hey. Hey guys. So yeah, man, we've got a really cool guest today. You know, so far we've only had one guest from Mississippi, Brian Riley. I mean, do check out his episode if you would. And today we have another one. Today we have Pat Frasconia here with us to talk with us about the 1977 Flora UFO incident. So welcome, Pat. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Pat, we're, we're excited about this uh, interview because I live in Yazoo County and, and uh, Lindsay lives in Humphreys. We wanted to do something kind of close to home. I guess we can just start. Tell us about yourself. Okay, well, I've spent my career primarily, uh, well, as an attorney in the uh, Jackson area and uh, have been practicing law there since about 1990, 91. And uh, along the way, don't, don't ask me how, but some, well, I know how, but it kind of started with <laughs> uh, when I got married to uh, my wife, Lisa. Mm-hmm. It turned out she had a cousin. Uh, and her cousin was a, a fellow by the name of Kenny Creel, who's uh, from the Florida wow. area. I think mm-hmm. a lot of folks know Kenny. Yeah. And yeah. Um, she told me of this event in 1977 of which he was a part. So that was the beginning of, um, you might say, a deviation from just practicing law to now practicing law slash being a UFO investigator. So I was really intrigued by that case. And uh, she still had family at the time. Uh, well, yes, she still does, uh, living in Flora. And every now and then I'd get to kind of uh, see those folks, that side of the family. And it was uh, stories that were told about things that happened in the area. And certainly that was one of them. And usually with an admonishment not to ask Kenny anything because he didn't want to talk about it. So... <laughs> That's kind of where uh, that side of things began for me. And I have lived in that area most of my life. I've moved in the last year and a half to Texas. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you kind of married into this UFO incident here. Oh, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. You could say that, sure. So I guess just kind of set up the the scene for us. Tell us about the, the Flora UFO incident. Well, uh, there are almost as many uh, versions of it as there are people living in Florida, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, yeah, we've heard. Any of it. Well, it's not just Florida. I think that kind of goes along with almost any UFO incident. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are even varying accounts of what happened in Roswell, New Mexico, you know. But yeah. the, uh, the, the general 
story goes is this. It was February of 77, and there were two police officers, one being Creel and one being a gentleman by the name of James Ray Luke, who was a constable. I think Creel was with the uh, Madison Sheriff's Office. And they would end up, they were on, I guess, some kind of patrol together. I'm not sure uh, why the constable and a sheriff's deputy were in the same corps, but evidently they were, as I understand it. And they would end up seeing a craft, a circular craft with, I believe there were portholes of some sort in it, which is kind of reminiscent of the Betty and Barney Hill uh, incident up in New England yeah. uh, at about same time or earlier, actually. Yeah. They, um, they would see this object hovering in the sky, evidently not that high up, maybe within 100, 200 feet, if, if that high. And the area that I recall, it's been, guys, you'll have to help me a little bit. It's been about 10 to 15 years since I last did some traipsing around the area up there where things are. I want to say it's, there's a highway that goes out from 49 past what used to be a Ramey's grocery store heading west. Uh, and I think it, it ends up maybe in Edwards or somewhere like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it goes past the petrified. I can't remember the, the number of the highway. I can't but it goes by the yeah. It goes through a subdivision and goes to the petrified forest. Yeah, and there's some some cattle farming I think out that way as you first start off and so forth. Um, yeah. There is a home. Uh, we're talking now. You're a problem. I'm I'm just going to guess ten miles down that road uh, when it starts to curve to the left, and I think locally it's referred to as Grant's Curve. Uh, Probably because of a family living in a house, it's right there. And it was just past that curve, as I understand from the folks that showed me, is where this object would sink. And even though it's, it's grown up with trees now, at that time, I believe it was a cotton field or something. So it was actually pretty wide open, uh, being there to see. So they would end up in close proximity to it. I've heard that it passed near them, they passed over them, passed by them, just about any preposition you can think of, I guess, on whatever. And uh, they could see it. And of course, it was uh, quite evident that it was not, it didn't look like anything of ours or theirs. It was something exotic, something unusual. Hey, my unrefined friends. I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us, and and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this, is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members-only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's gonna be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website 
at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community. I just can't stress the fact that, you know, we're after building a community and there's, there's so much out there, you guys, and there's so much coming, I really believe. We need to build these strong communities of Christ followers to, to be able to handle what might be coming in the, in the future days. We're sure that you'd be a good fit, and we cannot wait. I can't wait to see you there. Posley was making some noise. I believe it's often described, you'll hear this in other reports of, a, of, a, of like a laundry and dryer. The dryer is off balance as it's rotating out of a sound. Mm. Um, it's not the first time that kind of sound's been reported, by the way. So little clues like that kind of make you think, huh. And this is certainly an age well before the internet. So people weren't able to just get information like that from other, mm-hmm. other uh, events. Uh, readily is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. It would end up passing off uh, if one of the one of the witnesses. I won't mention his name. He, he always seems to be a little nervous about his name uh, being mentioned, but he shows up a lot um, with his identity not being revealed on camera uh, in interviews and such. He told me, I believe it passed off going to the north, slow rate of speed towards. Uh, is it Bentonia that's just... I've know, heard Satarsha. Satarsha. Okay, that's... Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, where Brandon actually lives. Yeah, so, I live in Satarsha, yeah. And then it would end up disappearing over the horizon or over the tree line, more likely that way. And so there were no... no. Um, it wasn't like a, any kind of you know close encounter of the fifth kind or anything. It was just uh, nobody was seen in the windows peering out or walking around on the ground. Uh, I don't believe from my research there was anybody that mentioned lost time. It was strictly a visual event and audible too, I guess, with some of the sound. Um, I would end up talking to several people, of course, this would be many years later, 2010. Mm-hmm. And one was a um, younger, a, younger is his surname, last name. He was a highway patrolman. Uh, that was in the vicinity because before this would all end, supposedly there were upwards of 50 people at Grant's Curve that had assembled to watch this night. And uh, off it went. And then all those years later, when I'm trying to speak to people, most folks didn't want to go on camera, didn't want to have their name, you know, so on and so forth. And so the incident is curious for a lot of reasons, but. Um, you know, one is what was the object doing there? Of course, we don't know when and where they show up, other than we do know in cases like the Rendlesham Forest incident, they are often affiliated with military installations and also uh, power plants. And so, mm-hmm. But at that time, Florida didn't have anything like that, uh, except for the old disused ordnance facility out at, uh, what's the name of the uh, park there? Kearney Park. Thank you. Thank you. Kearney Park. So that's the story in a nutshell. And the, the gist that I got from talking to people was 
something happened, something was odd. It was not anything uh, of ours. Although at that time, this is 77, you have to remember people were still very much, uh, not completely, it started to erode by this time, certainly, but there was still a lot of that post-World War II confidence in what the U.S. government told you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that 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 being the gospel truth, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, we we don't we don't have anything close to that now in our society. But uh, back then, we still did. I I had heard from other parties that Creel had spoken to. I believe it was Bozeman was the sheriff at that time. Um, and he had supposedly uh, told my Creel had been contacted by either men in black or folks from the Air Force or whatever it was and told to keep quiet. So mm. that essentially is the Flora 1977 event. Um, what's interesting about it is it was not the only one in Mississippi that year that made the headlines. There was another one down around Taylorsville uh, that only got about one article in the paper, in the Jackson paper, and it was also in 77, and it also was very eerily similar to what happened in uh, Florida. And I have the uh, good fortune of being able to run down and talk to the one of the only what, three witnesses to that event. Uh, this is a former Vietnam helicopter pilot and um, who has since passed. And uh, it, it was really something to hear his take on what he saw that night outside of Taylorsville as it compared to the Florida. Yeah, I was going to say, did you know anything about, uh, I read something about it, uh, something that happened around that time in JS, Mississippi, down in uh, Lawrence County, I believe, a similar well, occurrence. You'll and have I to think know, you, what county are we in if we're outside of Taylorsville? I can't remember. Taylorsville's in Smith County, I believe. Okay. So, um, yeah. Brookhaven also report there were calls into the, the municipal airport around that time about UFOs. Well, I don't, I don't recall if it was... 77 was kind of a hot year for UFO sightings around mm. the country. You know? Um, and Mississippi certainly wasn't left out of that. There's another event up in Columbus where an object supposedly appeared over a high school football game and <laughs> seen by a lot of folks. And so it was a big year. Things were going on. And I believe, well, if we go to Pascagoula, what year was that? Um, the famous Pascagoula. 73, I think. A little bit earlier then. Yeah. 70s were a good time for UFO sightings in Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what's so significant about 77. I mean, I was only three at the time, so <laughs> I don't remember it. But I wonder what was so significant about that that particular time period. What was going on, Pat, in the world uh, that that would you think would be causing all these sightings? I don't know, but that that's that's something. Uh, that's a good idea of something to research. You know, piece it yeah. together. Um, mm. I've had a good friend of mine. I'm sure all of you have seen him on TV many times. Nick Pope. Who used to be with the Ministry of Defense in uh, Great Britain. He and I have talked many times about this sort of thing and, you know, bringing parallels to, uh, you know, together of what was going on. Was there, a, for example, a lot of nuclear testing going on 
you know, mm-hmm. of the U.S. atomic test. I know there were three atomic blasts, subterranean blasts down around, um, oh, just west of Hatt- southwest of Hattiesburg. I don't remember if they were that year or not, but I believe they were in the 70s. And so it's entirely possible that that was what drew something close uh, because atomic testing, atomic facilities, atomic weapon storage areas all have a higher percentage of sightings than anywhere else. So, Well, and to correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, this, this is the part of the climax of the, the Cold War. I mean, it had started obviously back in the 60s and even after World War II, but I think the 70s and 80s were like the climax of it, What wasn't it? Uh, you'd be correct. There was a, certainly a lot of testing going on in Nevada in the uh, 50s and 60s, but it certainly was still going into the 70s. And like I said, Mississippi actually, uh, one of what, three states that has had um, nuclear or you know, atomic tests, conducted blasts, and um, I, I had to look that up. I can't remember, but I believe those were in the 70s as well. And albeit subterranean, but still, um, if that is what's, you know, uh, attracting something uh, through whatever means, whatever it is that is uh, detected, uh, whether it's underground in the atmosphere or at the surface, it still produces uh, radiation and other things that can be picked up. I wonder if that test was in Vicksburg. Was it at the Waterways Experiment Station in Vicksburg? Is that where they no, had that it, atomic test? No, it was at uh, the, uh, you go down 49 out of Hattiesburg. Was, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm going to have to look it up. It's not for If you're leaving uh, Southern Miss, University of Southern Miss, might take you 30 minutes to get there. Um, Loosedale? I believe that's it. I believe that's it. Let me, it's the Tatum Salt Dome, I think, is where they were doing the tests. Um, and it had surface effects. Um, mostly knocked cattle, you know, off their feet. Uh, families in the area fell. And uh, so it wasn't like it was just underground and nobody could feel anything. Hmm. And few people know that, except for perhaps those that lived down that way that there ever was atomic testing in Mississippi, but there was. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know that. I really didn't. So, okay, so Deputy Creel changed his story later. And just, I think he may have even, from the WAPT story on this, said he kind of made it up or something like that. Why, why do you think he changed his story? Um, well, he changed, well, I can't speak for certain as to what he, you know, uh, I don't think from my, you know, my opinion is that he, I don't think the guys made that up to begin with. And there were other witnesses as well. So, uh, but certainly at that time in the U S, um, yeah, the government did not want anybody poking around that topic. Um, unless they were approved to do so. I mean, this is what's going on right now. We're in the middle of it, which is, uh, well, I think we're a little bit past it, but we're still in the the phase of legitimization 
of the topic, um, what's going on now in Washington with hearings and, or the, that they've had the last couple of years of uh, release of these uh, films like the Navy and so forth. And I know, in fact, I know several people that are involved in that effort. They're trying to legitimize it, okay, because they need more brains working on this, for one thing. Uh, when you have uh, what they've been trying to do is a very siloed kind of effort. So what you're yeah, doing yeah. In, in building 101, you can't know what they're doing in building 102. But if you could join together and know what each other's doing, you might make some breakthroughs. At that time, the U.S. certainly wasn't doing things that way. Uh, so I think it's hard sometimes for a lot of people, younger folks, to realize What's going on now is the total opposite of what it used to be. Um, and uh, as far as trying to bring this out into the light of day. And so back then, it was nothing more than, I think he, he just was, he was uh, informed that he needed to shut up. And so that's what he did. Hmm. Well, that reminds me of, we, we, we just did a uh, episode on MK Ultra and a lot of wow. people nowadays don't realize how compartmentalized the government was back then. Like you said, that that you know the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, and and even early NASA and Air Force stuff, they were all kind of kept in the dark of of what the other branches were doing. And yet, and nowadays, yeah, you're right. It's it's I think it's because of just technology. You can't. It's harder for them to hide stuff. I mean, is that what you would think, Pat? It's harder for them to hide it. Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. But, I mean, I think what's driving it is a fear that other nations will figure out something. Because hmm. uh, just like uh, David Grush, who's been in the news, he's a fellow I've, I've spoken to before and very nice guy. And everything they say about him on TV is, uh, is pretty much accurate. I mean, he's a stand-up guy. Uh, he's the so-called whistleblower that's come out and said some things about craft being, you know, held here and there across the country. And he's not the first one I've heard that from, uh, from people who were in the know. And so the problem is simply this, uh, that compartmentalized approach has not worked insofar as... Yeah. Figuring out, uh, you know, creating alien reproduction vehicles or just reverse engineering, you know, uh, simple components, it's not worked. And so if it's going to ever work, you've got to have more minds collaborating. And the fear is that another nation will figure things out before we will, because we were too worried about, you know, bringing the public into, into the know and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's essentially it. And then in the background of all that, I'm sure is money in the term, in the, in Always. the form. Uh, yeah, of course, in the form of appropriations for research and blah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really quite yeah, simple. I don't think it's as complicated as some people think it is. It's just, you know, uh, some have suggested that are in the know that we might have been, uh, we might, have fallen behind other nations. Other nations are uh, actually a little bit ahead or a lot ahead of us. 
in figuring out certain things. Um, one gentleman that I know, who y'all, I'm sure, seen his name before if you ever do any reading on the topics involving Roswell. And I asked him, I said, well, it's say, I, this is when I was still somewhat of a skeptic. I kind of entered all this as a skeptic, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I wasn't sure yeah. about the topic. I, came, I became a believer along the way. And I asked him, I said, um, I think it's kind of fortuitous that whatever crash at Roswell just happened to have technology that was not too advanced that we could understand, you know, we could unravel because there's been a lot of talk through the years about things that have come out of that crowd. And uh, he gave an interesting answer. He said, well, there's still a hell of a lot more that we don't know what it does. <laughs> so I think that kind of sums it up. And that's where we are. We're trying to figure out some things that we don't think we're going to be able to figure out if we continue with a compartmentalized approach. Hmm. It was interesting. You said at some point you became a believer. Could could you tell us what that point is, or was it more of a gradual thing? Or I don't think it wasn't like a bright line point. You know, I, I crossed from here to there. It's just been, you know, it. I've been fortunate to be able to talk to a lot of folks. Some many of whom you'll see on the news that are talking about those, and so I've heard them. You know. Um, firsthand, um, over drinks in a lounge at a hotel in Washington or, you know, in Sony, Arizona or wherever. And then I'm on the phone and then just being part of, uh, group conversations, talking about something to do with whatever. And after about, you know, 10 years, you figure if these people are lying, they're, they're really committed to the law. I mean, mm -hmm. Uh, because it, what they're saying, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, many of these people are not really doing anything for personal gain, you know. Um, the ones that I tend to be uh, the most uh, wary of are those that make this into entertainment. Like people, I get calls all the time. Man, if you watch that latest ancient alien. And... Um, it's like, yeah, yeah, well, keep in mind, uh, those kind of shows sensationalize a lot. And so it's like, it, it may not be that it's not true, but they kind of get you to focus on something that may not actually be the, the you know, the key to it all. But it's, um, I, I just, over the years, I mean, I, I've just been around too much. I even got to hold a piece of the Roswell craft. Mm -hmm. um, that didn't do it because wow. I was still very much of a skeptic at the time. And I thought, yeah, well, that's what they say. This, this no. I don't, I'm electron, I don't have an electron uh, microscope here to do any. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to butcher a phrase here probably, but it, it goes something like the skeptics have to be right all the time, but. You know, the, oh, yeah, I know what you the mean. UFO incident only has to be right once to prove them wrong. I mean, when the evidence piles up, you know, you just at some point you just got to say, is, you know, is my skepticism just stubbornness? And, you know, I, I find myself saying that a lot of times. Or echo chamber. 
Yeah, oh, very much so. I mean, the um, I, I you know I, I'm 61 years old. I can remember very well back when anybody that talked about this, it was kind of like, oh yeah, well, you go have fun reading that reading fiction or doing whatever, and uh, people uh, like my son, who's in his 20s, you ask him about it, and it's like, well, of course there's aliens, you know, complete mm-hmm. reversal from where we used to be. Unbelievable. So Pat, I, I, I have a, qu- go ahead. I have a, I have a question for you. You were talking about the, 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 the shows like ancient aliens and the sensationalism and all that kind of stuff. What do you think about it? Cause this relates to that. What do you think about the Greer guy that, that takes people and calls crafts up on at different locations? Isn't it his name Greer? Like Stephen Greer, Steve Greer. Yeah. Stephen Greer. I, I think. Yeah. What do you think about that, Pat? Stephen Greer, uh, I have not actually met Stephen, but I've been at conferences where he's been. Um, Stephen is kind of an odd one, I, you know, to, to because I know of, of some people he's been, he's interacted with that are actually quite serious, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about things. And not to say that he's not, I'll put it this way. Uh, Steven is, um, he's got a knack for the sensational. Um, you know, I think he's got a knack for performance. And I, I think he weaves that in a lot of times with what he does. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what he's doing is, you know, not meritorious on its own. But uh, again, I, I tend to try to, not steer, you know, completely away from uh, entertainment in this area, but because um, it is fun, much of it, to watch or listen to um, storytelling kind of podcasts, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, yeah, I, look, he's a physician, I believe, in North Carolina. Uh, he stepped out to get into this. I got to give him respect for that. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, Lynn Katai, she's a cardiologist out in Phoenix. She's done the same thing since the Phoenix Lights. So I've met her. And so, you know, anybody with a PhD after their name or an MD after their name, or I guess in my case, even a PSD, uh, when you step out like that before they started to legitimize this, and certainly Greer has been on the playing field since before this was becoming a legitimate topic. You have to give some respect. Mm-hmm. And credence for what they do. Yeah. Well, could I ask you to just give us your opinions, speculations? <laughs> I got to ask on what you think the object in Flora was. Well, I, I was told once by a gentleman in the military that I had the um, good fortune of getting to speak to uh, who's retired, who's in the know. And he said, don't be so quick to make these. Uh, don't, how did he put it? It's been years ago. He said, something to the effect of, uh, it, it's not so simple as just being maybe, you know, not so simple as just being spacecraft in the sky. So in other words, uh, you know, when you see something or like Flora, was that a spacecraft with, some kind of uh, 
biological, you know, entities, in this case, extraterrestrial biological entities, EBEs. Um, sometimes you'll hear that, that uh, acronym used. And the point he was making was um, expand your, your thinking. It's not necessarily a craft that took off from a planet across the galaxy, okay? Um, it could be, and I, I kind of think this is more so where things are going uh, and eventually will land as far as revealing, and that is, uh, yeah, their craft, their physical craft, just like Flora, just like the uh, Tic Tacs, you know, and Catalina Channel in the North California with the Navy and the so forth. Yeah, their physical craft. Uh, they may or may not have, uh, you know, life forms in them. They may just be, uh, you know, robotic drone type stuff. But uh, the place they came from isn't even in our universe. It's, it's in another universe. That's what he was trying to tell. Some people would call that dimensional. Yeah, inter interdimensional beings. Right. And so... That was kind of an eye-opener for me because I thought, you know, I'm going around patting myself on the back privately thinking, you know, I'm really on the vanguard and I'm thinking out here. And then it's like you have a guy like this say, you know, that's great. You're thinking that way, but you're really not thinking big enough. <laughs> so that's kind of the way I felt about it. Let me let me ask you a, 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 another question too. This is kind of a multi multi layered question, so bear with me here. Uh, have you heard of Project Bluebeam before? I've heard of a lot of projects. Bluebeam. Yeah, I'm not Blue Beam. sure I've heard of Bluebeam. Okay, Tell well, me basically, more. Basically, Project Bluebeam is this belief that the government has a a a and and I think there's some real validity behind it. I don't think it's just conjecture or a quote conspiracy unquote. Um, however, that that the government has this plan of faking uh, UAP or I, I prefer UFO. I don't like UAP, but but uh, UFO or UAP type situations, and that it at different times in our history they were going to do it. Like for one for one example, is they were going to do it in the Middle East and say it came from Allah. And they were going to use some type of uh, manipulation or uh, 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 mind control to cause the, the, the Muslims to do this or that. And then there's been other speculation in different areas. And so this, if you get a chance, Pat, it's really, it's, it's an interesting rabbit trail to go down to, to investigate. Uh, the reason I was asking you that, I was, I was trying to, I was wondering if if you think possibly that there's like, Two things going on. There is these these legitimate extra dimensional beings that that are out there that are doing stuff. But then the government also has its own plan of a manipulation to try to do. I don't even know what the agenda could possibly be, but to to uh, manipulate and make people think that there is a uh, um, UFO UAP thing to kind of gain control gain control because i mean you know the government is ultimately and this will give you a i'll play my card of what i think about the government the government is ultimately about control you know and so uh anyway i i, I i'm sorry you know what project bluebeam is so that kind of 
I guess you can't answer too much on that. No, I, I think I can. I, I'm familiar okay. with uh, a paper. I think it was uh, written. I, I, you know, it's one of those. I think it might have been a CIA sponsor uh, project to uh, this research paper produced. The Iron Mountain Report, I think, is what it was called, um, and basically that had to. They were they discussed in that paper that war is necessary every so often uh, mm. for mankind to rejuvenate itself, uh, basically clear out a lot of uh, garbage, you know, in society, make it focus itself, much like World War II did to the United States. And um, yeah. bring about a stronger uh, population, a stronger society that will last only so long before you got to have the next war. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of reminds me of that when you bring that up. Um, first thing I'd say is, uh, you know, hell, we're sitting here talking about aliens and recovered craft and so on and so forth. Uh, so why not would be my first reaction. I think it's certainly possible, um, but I, I you know, call me a bit of a cynic, but uh, I just think money governs everything, and um, mm -hmm. money is the big uh, carrot that's always out there, and it, that's what um, people's are going. People are going to you know pursue, and so I think this part of what's pushing this agenda now is this is a great vehicle to approach, you know, the purse strings and say, hey, we need money for this. We need lots of it. And, and by the way, if we don't get it, Russia may get there first, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds familiar. <laughs> like yeah. in, like, well, like Kennedy back in the, not, not necessarily Kennedy, but like in the Kennedy era, that's, we need money to go to the moon before the Russians get there. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's that's a great example. <laughs> yeah, and um, so you know that that would be. I, I guess what I'm saying is, before I would believe there was a great conspiracy to accomplish what you're saying, Blue Bean talks about. I would believe that it's uh, it's it's a little it's a little simpler than that. You know, it's um, hmm. it's not as complicated. It's more about just the basics of what drives you know humans to do what they do um and, you know but i say that and i want to i want to emphasize i have and i do know a lot of good people that are involved in this this effort to bring this stuff to the fore and um again going back using a guy like greer now i may be wrong Stephen may have come up with a business plan said hey i'm gonna start producing films and doing i'll make money i don't know but still, I think um, he was running a big risk, you know, being in the profession that he is and all of a sudden appearing on TV talking about things like this, again, before the legitimization of the topic had even was years before it would begin. Yeah. Well, um, well, I guess we can kind of begin to, to land the plane here. Um, with this question, have you personally had any, you know, we, we ask question along this lines, usually Brandon <laughs> asked it, but 
we ask all of our guests if they've ever experienced have a story like a personal story the supernatural the paranormal etc that has personally happened to them um well you know i guess it's uh, my first reaction to that might be what i could say well that's kind of personal you know yeah. um but uh the answer is yes i have i mean when i was a child um when i was well actually two things have happened to me but when um when i was a child about 10 11 years old maybe maybe 12 um me and some neighborhood friends who were outside in the afternoon one one summer late one summer afternoon meaning the sun had gone down but it wasn't dark yet you know uh we saw something that was luminous that was in the sky that was not the moon it was not the sun and it was not a plane approaching you know on approach for landing that to this day every now and then every few years you know we might bring that up and say to ourselves what the hell was that mm -hmm. yeah. and we still wonder what it was you know um I would then, uh, I, I speak about things being private. I, I, I have another, uh, something that happened to me. It's very personal, but I was, uh, I, I sought out a, uh, author got a John Geiger, like Geiger counter mm -hmm. from Toronto. He was written a series of books on something called the third man factor. Uh, have you ever heard of that? Uh, I think I've heard of that, but. Um, and because I had an experience some 10 or so years ago and, uh, unrelated to UFOs and I, I became aware of him because I saw a NASA astronaut talking about his experience that Don had recorded for him on, you know, memorialized in a book. And I said, well, I want to talk to him and see if I'm crazy or if there was something to it anyway. So, um, my my uh, story ended up in a, in a book, uh, one, one of many that he accumulated for a, a follow up book to Third Man Factor. Uh, Third Man Factor is uh, it began uh, the first recorded incident I think that Geiger found in doing his research. Quote was um, I can't remember the uh, Antarctic explorer from a hundred plus years ago. Uh, his ships uh, got uh, frozen in the ice. They had to abandon them and walk. And uh, he and his crew. And uh, essentially, when they finally were rescued, they each learned that they had each had a companion with them oh, wow. <laughs> during that. And um, it's fascinating. Anyway, yeah, yeah. that, 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 um, has been replayed in many ways of the stories you'll see that he's collected from people who have been in car accidents or trapped underwater or so forth. Oh. Yeah, well, I just looked it up, and what I'm reading now, it, it's an unseen presence or spirit and provides comfort or support. So they're generally viewed as benevolent beings, yes. whatever they are in this experience. Right, and in some people's... Uh, you know, because of their faith, they might see them as angels or they, mm -hmm. you know, or they see them in, like in my case, a familiar person, you know, so that, that it's passed. 
someone who's going to was it, was it was Shackleton the guy you're talking about? Was it Shackleton? Shackleton. Yeah, Admiral, Admiral Shackleton. Shackleton. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's yeah, it's we a very, very that. personal story. Um, we appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, well, good. Uh, perhaps we can have another another meeting sometime. I'd love to introduce you to one of the principals from the Rendlesham Forest. Yeah, Burton. for sure. We'd love yeah, to we have you love back. Yeah, well, because John and I got. Uh, the, the way I met John was due in large part to the fact that there was a UFO over Flora in 1977. <laughs> that it would be linked. Well, yeah, I mean, the way we would come together uh, to link up to an event that occurred in England in 1980. Um, so it's interesting how things, you know, they plug in from one to the next. Yeah. Connecting. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Pat, that I've learned through all this is I, I don't really believe in coincidence too much anymore. <laughs> I don't you know? either. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pat, man, this has been a a great show. We really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your, your knowledge with us and looking forward to having you back. Thanks so much. And Thanks to our listeners, as always, for checking us out. How can people follow you? Uh, probably the best way right now. You know, I don't I do not do too much. I, I do speaking engagements, conferences, MUFON. Uh, you know, I was in Las Vegas for their conference, and every now and then John and I get to appear together, and John Burroughs. Uh, best way is probably just through Facebook. Uh, you can message me there, and we can, you know, go, go from there. Yeah. Yeah, we had we we actually had a MUFON guy from Canada on our show. Yeah, uh, uh, Nathan Zeber. So, Nathan Zeber. Yeah. So fantastic. Yeah. Good organization. Yeah. Again, thanks, Pat, for coming on, and thanks to our listeners, and and join us again for the next episode. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural.